Welcome to Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca slash podcast. We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Seitz. In the Symphony of Scripture for the fifth Sunday of Easter, we continue our selected readings, portions from the Acts of the Apostles, joined by texts from 1 John. As noted before, because Acts is shared across all three of the lectionary years, the selections can be made intentionally so as to come alongside the other readings. We saw this last week. Today we jump ahead from the healing of the man born lame, as related in Acts chapters 3 and 4, to this marvelous account of the conversion of an Ethiopian high official in the 8th chapter of Acts. This Sunday, however, there are no clear associations intended with the first John and Gospel readings. By contrast, these two readings are clearly linked by the notion prevalent in John of abiding in Christ, just as Christ abides in the Father. The true vine unites the vine grower, God the Father, his Son, the true vine, and those who abide in him and in that place of abiding bear much fruit. The reading from Acts is one of the most compelling in the narrative line of that work as introduced in Chapter 1, the gospel is to be preached, Jesus says, before his ascension in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Our Ethiopian official hails from modern Sudan, from the region just north of present-day Khartoum, a region known in biblical times as Cush, or Saba, as the prophet Isaiah says in chapters 42 and 45, men of stature, tall men, from Saba. A month-long journey by wagon to Jerusalem if one sits on the accelerator. So the gospel is moving out from Jerusalem to Judea, aided by the ministry of the seven Hellenistic deacons chosen in chapter 6, including our own Philip, who appears in today's lesson in number 2 spot, then into Samaria with his successful missionary activity there after the stoning of Stephen, and now to the very ends of the earth. That is, the movement in Acts is from Jews coming up to Jerusalem at Pentecost to Jewish citizens in the capital 
to Greek-speaking Jews in Jerusalem and Judea, on to Samaria, then to God-fearers and proselytes, and finally to the Gentiles, as we see next week with Cornelius. Just as Isaiah had promised in fulfillment of the oath sworn to Abraham, in whom all the families of the earth were to find blessing. We need to stay with the details of this rich account in Acts chapter 8 in order to catch all the significance of what is being related. Candace is a title, not a proper name, like Caesar or Pharaoh. The region over which she is queen or queen mother is renowned for minerals and riches due to mining. Our unnamed official, we are told, is in charge of her entire treasury. His trip would not be an easy one, so he must be sufficiently high up to be given the month's long time away. We should imagine a sturdy, covered vehicle with a driver, a kind of Winnebago in its day. Moreover, scrolls at the time are very expensive, and he has his own private one from which he, as we hear, reads aloud. So he is either a proselyte or a God-fearer who has come most likely to the court of the Gentiles during Pentecost. He is likely literally a eunuch, though the term can be transferred to mean simply court official. If a eunuch, he cannot participate fully in the rites of Judaism in accordance with Levitical law. And this would make him more likely a God-fearer. That would make his plea, as we hear it, to be baptized and incorporated into Jesus Christ all the more urgent and poignant, overcoming his physical impairment and the limitations it places upon him. The 56th chapter of Isaiah, just after the passage he is reading, promises just this inclusion for eunuchs and outcasts who fear the Lord and seek to do his commandments. So we have before us someone not unlike the powerful Syrian Naaman with his high office and grand chariot, but who is on the margins in deep ways all the same, plagued in his case by leprosy until healed by Elisha emblematic in the case of our Ethiopian official, of the inroads the gospel is making indeed unto the ends of the earth. In antiquity, people read aloud when they read. Ambrose would later note the curiosity of someone reading whose lips did not move, that is, reading to himself which we often understand the phrase to mean. 
Philip, number two deacon, has been dispatched from his very successful ministry in Samaria and whisked off, off to the road which literally goes down from the heights of Jerusalem to Gaza and which is literally a desert way where water is scarce. When we see him again in the Acts of the Apostles, it's in Caesarea where he meets with Paul, with his four daughters who prophesy in the 21st chapter. His divine appointment appears in the form of a black official riding in a limousine, reading aloud from Isaiah, with him running alongside before invited to take a seat. The passage from Isaiah is one we know from the Greek version of Isaiah, chapter 53, 7 to 8, the middle of what's come to be known as the Suffering Servant Song, the fourth servant song of Isaiah, which speaks of the suffering servant who bears the sins of others, though marred in appearance and treated with contempt. The question the Ethiopian official asks is not an unusual one, since the passage speaks of someone's suffering and death, and not with obvious reference to the prophet Isaiah himself. This passage becomes a source of long-standing discussion in the sources of the period, and also later. Is it the suffering Israel? Is it Hezekiah or Jeremiah? Or the Jewish Israel in persecution in the Middle Ages? And perhaps even an unknown prophetic figure in historical Israel's day. Philip takes this as his point of departure for proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ who bore the sins of many in accordance with this mysterious, though highly significant passage from Isaiah. Why is he reading this passage? Because it is so pregnant with meaning, because it speaks of, perhaps because it speaks of a generation and so points to his own ungenerative affliction. Coming from Jerusalem, had he heard of Jesus, the crucified one now being proclaimed and so was searching his scriptures with the kind of probing mind Luke and John and others commend, consistent with the Lord's own practice and command? Baptism is an initiatory rite, and it may have been familiar, but in this case, Philip knows just what kind of baptism is being called for, and he complies, getting down into the water himself, as we read. Now we're in a position to understand and overlay 
the psalm chosen for today, our unnamed convert goes on his way rejoicing, we hear at the end of Acts passage. A new day has broken in on him. His praise is indeed in the great assembly of the church now stretching to his destination miles and miles away to the south. His descendants are those who hear the gospel because of him. So he has descendants after all. They shall be known as the Lord's forever. All the ends of the earth shall turn to the Lord because of him. The true king, he knows now to be the Lord who has suffered and borne the sins of many, who rules over nations, as our psalm says. And the report of him from Isaiah, from Philip, from the Spirit's commendation of Christ through the Scripture and the word of interpretation will be known to a people yet unborn. As our psalm puts it, as the gospel sounds forth from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and into all the corners of the world to people yet unborn. Moving then to the epistle and gospel readings for this Sunday, which are closely associated. The striking thing about the portion from 1 John is the emphasis on love. Not love as we mean it today, a sentiment arising in our hearts, a feeling thought to validate this or in its absence disqualify that. No, love comes from God. God is love. Love is defined as the giving of the Son by God the Father. It is a gift, an endowment. Love takes up where the love of God is made known first. We love because God first loved us. It is because God so loved us that love is now there to be shown by us in turn. This is all because we find our abiding place in God by confessing Jesus is his very Son, which is itself a gift of the Holy Spirit. And of course, the verb to remain or abide, or even lodge, or stay, meno in Greek, is a kind of theme word of John's gospel. Literally at beginning and at the end both. The beloved disciple in chapter 1 and Andrew remain, abide, stay, lodge with Jesus upon first meeting him there in the opening chapter. They say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you abiding? Where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was remaining, abiding, staying. 
And they remained, abide, and spent that day with him. Then at the end, the beloved disciple is he who remains at the cross. He remained and contemplated at the mouth of the tomb. And because of that stance of abiding, came to believe. His remaining after Jesus' word to Peter that he would die by crucifixion disturbed St. Peter. Did he mean the beloved disciple would not die before Jesus returned? So the very final verses of the Gospel of John Remaining is the signature bearing of this, the beloved disciple, seemingly beyond death itself. If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? Follow me. The disciples of Jesus are those who are to remain in him, lodge in him, stay in him, abide in him. In the same way, branches are organic extensions of the true vine. For that is how Jesus is organically connected in love to God the Father. As he bore fruit in dying and bringing forth new life for us, so we are to do the same. Our pruning, while at times painful, is that which allows us to bear even more fruit. It is the indication that we abide in Him and so are and continue to become His disciples. We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of Scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca slash podcast. Thank you, and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.